1: For Memorial Day, get 15% off your borough purchase at burrowcom ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at borough.com ACAST.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Episode 152 of the More Than Just Code podcast. I'm Tim Mitchell, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez, Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All right. So, Jaime, we have one ask MTJC, I believe. Yes. This is from a friend of the
3: show, Jesse Catterwall, says, uh, the LG Ultrafine 4K, that would be the monitor, is only a USB 2 hub, and Ooh. will plugging directly into the MacBook Pro use faster transfers from Xcode to new devices? I don't know. I don't have either one of those I, things, have, so I, I couldn't
2: would, tell you. I would have to go with no. Mark has one, but I'd have to go with no uh, because if it's a USB 2, then it's going to, that's the speed of it, right? It can't go any faster than that. That's the, like, the weakest link in the chain, as they say, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I saw one at um, Dave, Xavier and I were over at the Apple store the other day and, and uh, looking at their stuff and uh, they had a couple of them there. Um, they're smaller than I thought they were, but um, are they have different two different sizes, I think. I don't know. So, but you have a 4K display at your office, Mark?
1: I think it's actually a 5K, one of the newer ones. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's good size. It's it's uh you know it's roughly the same size as my old um, uh, Thunderbolt display.
2: Like a 27-inch display, you think, or or 24?
1: Uh, definitely at least a 27, maybe even a 30. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. It looks great, really nice looking display.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never really spent any time with one of those high-res IMAX or the 5K IMAX or or any of these. So sorry, Jesse, we haven't got an answer for you. Okay, so uh, let's move. On to our Fu. So, I just saw this on the verge this afternoon. I thought we'd uh, talk about. It. We talked about Windows or Microsoft Phone, Windows Phone, and apparently they have they stopped supporting it today. I think. Um, so, ding dong, the phone is dead, right?
3: At least the Windows Phone operating system, since they just dropped right. support for the eight or eight point one version. I think it is, and they still technically have the possibility of a mobile play because Windows Ten Mobile exists, sort of having Windows be adaptable from desktop, to tablet, to phone, hypothetically. But as far as I know, right. there isn't anything concrete out there. So, yeah, it's kind of the end of an era for, for Microsoft in that respect and that they, they don't own the platform, right? They, they're everywhere. There are plenty of apps that they have on Android and iOS, but uh, not on their own platform, which is sort of different than the old days where Microsoft being everywhere meant that Windows was everywhere. And it's, it's been quite right. quite different now. It's all about their services.
2: And, and that's where people would gravitate to because I've got the Microsoft desktop. I got to have the Microsoft phone, right? But I was looking here at the bottom of this article that we've got linked here, which will be in the show notes, is that um, 99.6% of all smartphone apps are run on Android or iOS. So it doesn't give Microsoft much room. Here, yeah.
1: Microsoft is having some layoffs too, some big layoffs. Is that going to affect the Seattle area? I mean, do you know?
3: Mm. So if it's the same layoffs that uh, that I'm thinking of, those are predominantly in the sales area. So they're, mm. and I think it was probably direct software sales. So as they're sort of regrouping around Azure, based services I think those folks are sort of less necessary um, I think of it kind of similar to the way that Tim has talked about on this very show that the Apple reseller system is something that has gone away I don't know if it's permanently gone but it's sort of like effectively gone right it's not like a thing because now they have the Apple Store and and, and other yeah. stuff that's sort of direct and I think this is similar for Microsoft was like well they're not really looking to sell as much on-premises stuff or even as much sort of like personal oh you go to Best Buy and you get a box off the shelf and you install it locally it's like no you get it the web and it's a service that you're all continuously connected to and so the I think the sales folks are quite a bit different it's not
2: about units it's right. about recurring revenue through subscriptions right and just a note on the um, Apple reseller front its still it still is around it's just they weaned a lot of the uh, smaller players out of it because they because they raised the the quota that they have to match you know it was like five times what it was when I first started so it's tougher for the smaller guy to compete but it's still there and actually mm-hmm. I noticed too when I was traveling um, around uh, they've renamed and we used to be like if you had a storefront you were an authorized reseller but they now turned them into premium resellers so uh, there's a couple of stores downtown that have that moniker and there's one they saw in Fredericton at one of the malls that has a moniker of um, premium reseller so so obviously they they're uh, they're able to compete right so yeah so I guess maybe the last note I have for Windows Phone is that you know it's kind
3: of sad in the one respect in that Microsoft had a lot of I think interesting ideas with Windows Phone um, I think they stumbled a lot in sort of how they executed on that but they they had, you know, flat design before it was cool. They had right. great typography before anybody even heard of Helvetica Noya or San Francisco or Roboto. And they also had sort of deep integration of things like, um, you know, contacts being sort of deeply great in sort of like, I have this one person, right? This is Jaime and I can access or, or contact them seamlessly through Facebook or text message or any other different methods that you sort of see now in, in Android and iOS where there's Sort of bringing that into the context system, but Windows Phone mm-hmm. had that long before. Um, I think they were calling it People Hub, if I'm not mistaken. They had that long before the other competitors did, and so they had the innovation there. But they really just dropped the ball when it came to the business side and, and, and sort of getting into the market early.
2: Right, right, and and as much as we make fun of Metro, the you know the interface that was on the phone. I mean, at least they gave you a quick glance. You know, like like what we look at as today extensions or glances on your watch. You know, you'd look at your phone and and you could you could choose what you want to see so you could have a calendar you could have like contacts like you said you could have like a little twit you know i guess widgets are how we would look at it today right so Mm
0: -hmm. they Mm had that
2: at least going for it right so you could have a look at your watch or you look at your phone and you have a you know quick glance at what's going on what's important to you so that's kind of a huge time saver sometimes yep all right so that's that uh, the next piece of follow up is uh, is actually under the shopping help, um, and this is, has to do. With, I was following up with a client uh, the other day who contacted me because he hadn't updated his iMac in forever, so he was still running Snow Leopard, and he was trying to figure out how to um, get uh, an upgrade for his for his OS. And um, so after some digging around, this took me a while to find this page. I ended up on a, a UK website that had a link to it, uh, but Apple does have a a page, a software down Apple software page under shopping help that lists um, things like uh, Lion, uh, Snow Leopard, and Mountain Lion if you need to. Because you need to have a 10, 10.68, I think, to have Apple App Store, Mac App Store. And um, the only thing is that these three uh, products are chargeable because I don't know if you remember when Lion first came out or I guess Snow Leopard first came out. It was like a $20 upgrade or something like that in 1999 US. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, th- so these are still, if, you, if, you're, if you've never upgraded and you have an old, old device and you want to, even if you just want to update to like Lion, you don't want to go all the way to Yosemite or Sierra. Like I don't think his. I think that the issue was that his Mac couldn't upgrade to Sierra because I do know. Actually, he just made the cut. He's a two thousand nine iMac. But still, so it was it was hard to find this page. So I thought I would have put it in the, in the show notes. If anybody else is uh, sort of struggling to figure out how to how to get an older machine updated, uh, this is one way to do it.
1: Maybe they should just include a link to the "Here's where you buy a new Mac" page.
2: Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they do have a learn how to upgrade uh, Mac OS. Well, like I said, this guy just this this guy's machine just made the cut. It was. A 2009 um, iMac, which is one of the machines listed as the minimum requirement for Sierra, so mm-hmm. it'll probably be uh, cut off in the next next whatever system comes out, right? High Sierra, no, I guess High Sierra, right? He's probably not on, not, not able to go to High Sierra. Uh, I'd forgotten about that whole uh, Californization of the uh, OS. Good question. I don't think they cut out any Macs from High Sierra. I have
3: to go back to the notes, but I don't recall them removing anything. They might have made a point of saying, like, oh yeah, it runs on every Mac that currently runs Sierra, but I did, like. Could be wrong, I'd have to review the notes. Oh, as you can see, this is kind of interesting here. So the when you order Snow Leopard, you receive the product on DVD with printed and electronic documentation.
2: Right, right, yeah.
3: Or when you order Lion or Mountain Lion, you receive an email with a redemption code. I'm I'm a little surprised that the sort of charge like I understand for the physical side, let's let's sort of like the one oddity. I'm a little surprised that yeah. they don't just have you download it and install. It. Like is it not possible? Like what's so special about having a D V D. You ever think somebody could just rip the DVD and shove it onto a web server somewhere. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like
3: an yeah. Apple-controlled server, and then let you download it, right? Like that seems sort of weird. Like they've got boxes somewhere, like Indiana Jones style, sitting in warehouses. Oh, somebody wanted one, and they go dust off the box, open it up, and and ship it on yeah. in their merry way.
2: Yeah, I don't know if you remember, but when Lion first came out, and you and if you bought new hardware, they gave you a USB key with a restore image on it for Lion, right? But uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, I still I still have some of those somewhere in a box. But um, yeah, i and also I was I was a little taken aback that you know that when you click on the link for Lion that they they. Want you to pay money for it? Because I, I and admittedly they, they were charging for it at the time. But why can't they just sort of say, you know what, High Sierra's free, so let's make Lion free, you know, for whatever reason. So that's I guess it's just a stop all the Hackintosh guys. I wonder what the
3: printed documentation is like because for the low low price of twenty dollars, you kind of have like yourself a little memento here that you could have available. Yeah, a little yeah. blast from the past. No, I,
2: I I have all those discs, and I can tell you there's not much in the printed documentation that tells you very much about the OS or whatever, right? So
0: mm-hmm. there's
2: probably an iBook for that? I'm sure somewhere. Anywho, that's it. Uh, that was my little software update thing. Oh, and just just uh, as a in case anybody's struggling with this, the ultimate solution I said to the guy was, well, you know, he's got more than one Mac. I said, well, why don't you just go check the purchased page on uh, the App Mac App Store? Maybe you've already bought that with your ID for another with a, for another machine. And so, sure enough, he went and he found he actually did have he did go to the purchase page and on his Mac App Store and and did have a previously purchased uh, version of it. So he was able to download it from there. Just a quick note here on as follow up on the, the product page, your product page for the all new App Store. Um, there was an email email that went out. If you're a registered developer, you probably got this. But Apple is urging people to update their product page before um, iOS 11 ships. Um, I went through the sort of the the clicked on the link here on the site that says you know it explains to you what what all is happening there. Other than the new video format, I don't really. I mean, and I guess the subtitle on, under the name. I don't. Really, I didn't really see very much that was beyond what we might already have um, on your on your store page.
1: Yeah, it looks pretty similar. I mean, there's you know there's a different there's a new subtitle and the shorter name and all that, but which you have to put in, I guess. But uh, not really
2: much else. One thing I was wondering, and I, I logged into my account was to see was does this mean we can go in and update our products now while they're live on the store? Because that's always been a limitation, right? Once you once you sent it to the store, you couldn't change the name of the keywords. You, you can that? change that's the name, point. I
1: thought. You can't change the keywords. I you could change
2: the name. Yeah, so, yeah, so I just pushed out uh, an update to Device Tracker because we yeah. found a bug. Mm-hmm. Let me just see here. App information. Yeah, I can ch- it seems like I can change the. Um, hmm. I always thought you couldn't. There were certain things you couldn't change. Yeah, I can't change the name. Oh, really? It's got a lock beside it. Yeah. Mm, okay. Make changes to an app name or category. Create a new app version. All other changes will immediately be available on the App Store. Mm, okay. It says here. So, so I guess not. It's to not. To answer my own question. Real time follow up.
3: Yeah, that's probably um, to prevent you from going in and changing your name after review to be like
2: Minecraft. Totally official or <laughs> legit, you know. Um,
3: yeah, I think it's just stuff For like reals. description or maybe release notes or something. I think you could change rather small, so
2: yeah, I think you can tweak the what's up, what's um, what's new thing, but yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. No, I mean, that's one of the limits, like, because yeah, you're right, they totally could start gaming things if you did that, right? Mm-hmm. So, Tim, did you, you
3: you said you submitted recently? Did you notice if it has the option to reset or not reset the app store review ratings? Uh, I hadn't I didn't seen look that,
2: at yet. that, I didn't look at that. But you know what I did do is I did set it because it's an update. I did set it as a staged release. I was trying to find the update link here. And I was curious, to, and I only did that simply out of curiosity because that's ultimately why I built the device tracker in the first place. But I wanted to find out if because um, under sale, I thought it was under sales and trends. You could see who had updated their who had updated their apps because I, I you know like normally when you do an update, you get like a big whack of them on day one, just like you do on the first day of sale, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. a few more after. Like you know, and apparently this staged update thing is so that um, people who have it set to automatically update won't necessarily get the update on, at that exact minute, you know, sort of thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. A, as a side note, um, Blackbox, just to release an update this, this morning or this afternoon, I got a, I got a notification telling me there was a new le- new level. Um, yet when I went to the store, uh, it didn't show up for me, right? So I sent Ryan in saying, did you use the staged release thing? So I curious about that. You guys know where to find upgrade sales in your...
1: Yeah, you got to look at the sales report under sales and, and
2: Trends, okay. Uh,
1: yeah. The, the, the,
2: the oh, oh, the reports! Oh, I see. Yeah, or I think the uh, the old iPhone app used to have it, right? I don't know if it still does. Still does. I'll have a poke at it while we talk about the rest of the show. Okay. Oh, good. Next one is Jaime. Cool. Go. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit of follow-up,
3: probably way back regarding PayPal and iTunes and other things. So now Apple has added PayPal support for purchases through iTunes and the App Store. So you can go in and set it as a payment method, just like you can have your credit or debit card. And they're sort of phased rolling it out. As of this recording, it's they say North America, but they really mean Canada and Mexico first. And apparently the US will come soon. So that's kind of interesting. It's very unusual. And tons of other countries like Australia, Austria, France. Germany, Israel, Italy, the Netherlands, and Spain are getting this feature. Uh, notably, um, as is shown here in the article in the show notes, um, they do actually check to make sure that your PayPal region or location is set to the same one as your app store. So people thought, aha, now I can fake and, and pay as if I'm coming through this other territory. It's like, no, 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 they they thought about that one. So just keep that in mind.
2: Cool. So that means that people when people are buying our apps, they can use PayPal instead of a credit card, right? Yeah, I guess so.
3: Yeah, I guess I guess under the covers, right? Because it has, from the screenshot here and I've not seen it. I don't see the option yet on my own phone, but um, instead of, you know, adding a payment method with a credit or debit card, you can do PayPal and then you sign into PayPal and presumably uses their authentication experience.
2: So, but as as the reseller, we used to lose 4% to like for somebody selling something through PayPal, I always lose 4% whenever somebody pays me through PayPal. Do we still lose that 4%? Mm,
3: So that was if you were using directly PayPal's sort of payment mechanism, right? Like pay me for this product with PayPal. I, I don't see anything here. that indicates that that's the case. So, I mean, as far as you know, you get paid by Apple, right? And, and whatever arrangement right, right. PayPal has with Apple is sort of between them. So I don't think to, yeah. to answer your question more directly, I don't think they're penalizing you like, aha, it was our 30% cut, but guess what? Here's another 4% for our buddies over here. They're actually the ones paying you.
2: Yeah. Somehow I doubt it's 4%.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure Apple negotiated something in order to keep everything consistent on their end, right? Otherwise it's, it's, a, it's a big accounting nightmare to figure out who gets what. Uh, and and If uh, everything stays the same, then it's a lot easier to deal with. So I, I
2: bet you they did that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's probably huge for PayPal to have this as a as a yep. a, a new agent that they're sell, you know dealing with money through, right? Yeah.
1: Okay, so I'm looking at the new black box puzzle now. Black box puzzle.
2: <laughs> I haven't got a clue. Oh yeah, so I'm looking at my uh, my uh, iTunes um, Connect page on the iOS app it does have um, does have the uh, stats. So I'm showing uh, 133 updates. Oh, and it looks like they're spread out. Oh no. Sorry, I take that back. Mostly today, or mostly yesterday, I should say. So I had 133 updates out of I think around five or six thousand units sold initially. So who okay, who who keeps count? I don't. But anyway, so what do you think about that black buck puzzle there, Mark?
1: Well, I'm looking at it now. <laughs> I Haven't solved it yet.
2: It's a head scratcher. Do you have you solved it? No, 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 oh, okay. no. I just I just literally got it a few minutes before the show.
1: Mm-hmm. I've got a couple of ideas, but uh, all right, maybe I won't play with it now while we're doing the show because you won't hear yeah, me say yeah. a word.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So. So now you know why it's the podcast official app of the podcast because distracts all of us. Okay, Jaime, what about this Google machine learning thing?
3: Yeah, there's a little bit of follow-up in sort of the, the general topic of machine learning and, and also coinciding with their app store, Google Play. Apparently, Google's using machine learning to try to figure out which apps are good and, and more importantly, which ones are bad. So an example they give in the article is, all right, so they can sort of look at all these apps across the board and say, all right, let's say these calculator apps, what sorts of permissions do they... Ask for. And if you have one that asks for, oh, by the way, I want to access your microphone and location and phone book, like, well, that's kind of weird. Why does a calculator app need to know that? Right. And that's sort of a more obvious one, I think. But I think they're trying to do this very similar to other types of fraud analysis that you might use machine learning for, where it's not something a human can look at and say, like, oh, obviously this was the connecting bit between them. You have the machine look through and say, hmm, I found similarities here between these. And then have, you know, a human go in and say, oh, yeah, that's actually totally a bad one. We should remove that. I think this is something they're looking to do. To, to sort of bolster the safety and security of Google Play, because unlike the App Store, where you know as great as it is to have you know, a very tight and shortened review cycle, it still is a human review cycle, and right. that's in contrast to Google Play, where if you've got a pulse, you've got an app, right? You can just <laughs> you can just pump them in there as fast as they'll go in, and uh, right. it means they sort of have to do more technologically to deal with stuff uh, sort of after the fact once it's in Google Play, um, and of course they do stuff during the of uh, the upload cycle as well to do initial cuts. But I'm hoping that Apple would do something kind of similar and then make it even more of a titan cycle for App Store review. So hopefully they'll, they'll take a page out of this book and start using the machine learning side to do this sort of thing to be like, all right, your app kind of looks like every other app that's in this category. So okay, that's good. Let's go take a look at this other one that's like weird and, and has, does all sorts of weird things that don't fit the norm and give it a little bit more scrutiny.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe they yeah. already are. We don't
3: know? It's entirely possible. Yes.
2: <laughs> that's good. Okay, so moving on to the is this another machine learning link here about the iPhone app from Microsoft, I mean, In a way. I mean, it uses, you know, that
3: as the magic sauce, but in this case, it's not really like the point per se. This isn't like a user sort of perceivable thing. This is something that Microsoft has put out, a new iPhone app called Seeing AI that gives you tons of features that will help people who are visually impaired in some way. And I tried this out today. Um, it, it just came out today as of this recording. And it's kind of interesting. You can say, okay, well, read some text to me and hold a book open and it it will read the text. And I tried this with a textbook that I have here and it did a pretty reasonable job. I can have it do um, you know, recognize stuff that's in this scene. So if people are kind of wondering like, where the heck am I? And it's like, oh you know, this is this is a park. Um, what's in front of me? Oh, it's a woman sitting at a table. And apparently if you do a little bit of training, it will even recognize people and will say like oh, this is Sally and she's sitting directly in front of you around three feet away. So I thought that was sort of really cool. They're, they're adding more to this, but it's I think one of those sort of non-obvious things, right? Like we've talked about like, oh, like we can use this to recognize hot dogs or not. And that's cool. I'm not saying that's not cool, but it's also sort of like that next level of like, well, how can we use this to assist people? And in, in some cases, we've thought about, oh, well, I am a sighted person and I, I, I want to know what the heck is this thing? Like, you know, go find this on a Google search or something. But it's kind of nice to see that folks are thinking about like, well, what can this do for accessibility? How can we use these computational advances to sort of help others? I thought that was really cool. And I think, Tim, this might Be slight follow up to the is it a WWDC session about um, you know accessibility uh, for you or what is it convenience for you is a lifeline for me I think it's called something like that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh oh I should have mentioned a super useful one like I'm guessing this is probably a bigger problem in the United States because other countries deal with us in a different way but our currency is all shaped the same way and it has the same exact texture so this thing is able to recognize U.S. currency and tell you oh that's a five dollar bill that's a hundred dollar bill. And I think that's probably a real nice thing for somebody who has a uh, visual impairment.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah. Doesn't Your bills don't have Braille on them? No. No. Do yours? Yeah. Yeah, ours have Braille on oh, them. Oh,
1: funny. Mm-hmm.
2: But anyway, just uh, the, the article there says that it's only available in the United States, but I just uh, went to the Canadian App Store and I was able to download it. And so it's loading onto my phone right now. So
1: uh, The funniest thing about this, uh, this article to me is if you look at the picture at the top, the picture of the girl with uh, someone looking at her through her camera using the app to identify who she is... The picture in the app is not the same picture as it's supposedly looking at. Hmm. You can tell very clearly by looking at over her right shoulder our, on our left. People are different.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's a little bit of creative framing. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's marketing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody will notice, Mark. No one will notice. Or, or is the app
1: uh, lying to the user, <laughs> changing this, changing the story a little bit and lying to the user?
2: Yes, yeah. I think you were right, Tommy. The title is Convenience for You is in Independence for Me. As far as I know, because I'm sure the natural question that folks
3: listening here, for those of you driving at home, I don't think given the timing, I don't think this is actually I can guarantee because this isn't um, iOS 11 uh, beta only, like you get this right out of the app store. um, It's not using any of the Core ML or Vision Framework stuff. So this is presumably some of Microsoft's Homeworld stuff or perhaps some other open source thing that they're using.
2: Yeah, you have to agree agree to the term. So I assume that may mean that they're going to send some information to their servers as well.
3: Yeah, this comes out of, uh, they, they may not specify in this article, Um, maybe it was a different article I read, that uh, this sort of thing comes out of their, what do they call it, the garage, sort of like their labs group. So it's not intended to be like, you know, Outlook or Office 365, sort of the bread and butter apps. This is more of like their experimental and exploratory sort of group, like an R&D sort of group inside of Microsoft.
2: No, it's definitely something that that, uh, I think will have applications um, beyond what you're just thinking about. So I'm actually going to play with it as I wander around the world next week or so. So interesting stuff. Cool. Okay. So we're up to the uh, one password. So I think it was on the weekend. One password announced. Uh, I think it's on their blog that they were trying to convince people to use the subscription service to store passwords in the cloud, as opposed to the way it works now. Is you can choose to have it have a copy of the vault stored locally on your device, and you can sync it to iCloud and Dropbox. And um, which they're, they're, you'll still be able to do that. But I think that uh, security experts were all up in arms on Twitter about. You know how this? How could it possibly be more safe to do it that way? Um, I don't know if you guys had heard the story at all, but uh, um, yeah. So they're moving. They're moving to. They'd like people to move to the subscription service for using one password from Algobit.
1: So according to this article, you will, it looks like you will not be able to have a local encrypted vault anymore. It's only right in the cloud. That's that sounds horrible.
2: Yeah, that, that's kind of what people were upset about. But uh, it says here that, uh, however, one password developer at Bits, it reiterated that it had no immediate plans to remove support for local Dropbox or iCloud vaults in the last paragraph there so I think that you know you know I, I, I'm a long time one password user and and uh, I mean they're friends of ours they're in Toronto here and all that kind of stuff and we see them regularly but um, you know I, I never went with a subscription, a subscription version of it just because I just don't need to spend an extra five dollars a month but I use it all the time but for me it's going to be awkward at, at the office because we're in a firewalled environment I can't get out to Dropbox or whatever so I only have a local version of one password so i don't know how they're going to solve that problem right but yeah so it's kind of weird you know All right so so fair disclosure here i am a one password user
3: and i do happen to use the subscription in cloud-based solution so i'm obviously not impacted by this because i'm already like on the train that one password wants me to be but i i will be a little bit pedantic in my response here to the like uh, let me see let me see what does this say here that um security experts were saying this one's less secure less secure on one particular axis sort of traditionally your security goals are confidentiality, integrity, and availability, right? Right. So uh, fair point that in terms of confidentiality and integrity, there is potentially some loss there because it's, you know, on the cloud and it's something that can be attacked in a remote thing. It's not as if, oh, they have to literally go find my MacBook and take it from me and then crack the code, right? Okay, that's a fair point. Um, But the cloud-based solutions are going to be more available, which is sort of a sort of underrated, I think, aspect of security, oh, great, well, I have this one device and uh, it's very secure you know, from outside attack, but uh, I dropped it into the river. What do I do now? Well, it kind of sucks. Uh, it's secure even for me. Great, fantastic. <laughs> now even I don't have access to my passwords, right? So I think there's sort of some give and take and some trade-offs here. And and I'm, I'm sure that folks sort of like the uh, the Dropbox model uh, as an example, but um, I mean, as we've talked before, right, like cloud-based stuff isn't forever necessarily. And who knows where Dropbox might be in the future. I and mean, I think they look very good right now, but who's to say? Not that long for now, so I think it's true. It's not real clear to me that this is a like irreversible and like the sky is falling sort of thing. I think it's a bummer that folks may or may not have this option going forward in the future. Maybe
2: a little bit of my two sets. Well, I'm gonna to have to take the contrarian version because as somebody who works in IT and also I work in a place where we don't have access to the cloud. We cannot get on iCloud. We cannot get on Dropbox at the office. I've even talked to one password about this because I can't sync my my password accounts on my Mac unless I, you know, bring it home or whatever and go and go on a, a, a log in. But by policy, we're not allowed to do that, right? Um, so for me, if it moves to an, a, a cloud-only solution, I'm screwed because I can't access the cloud from my workstation. So And, and also, and just another point too, I paid real money for the Mac client and I paid real money for the iOS client. So, um, I you know, I paid it. It wasn't cheap when I first bought 1Password. So I, I think that Some people have the right to be miffed about this. You know, for a couple of reasons, but like they're they're totally cutting off those of us who work in in the security industries that don't have access to the cloud. Oh, absolutely! I you, you get no disagreement here. I think everything you said is quite
3: on point, and I think folks should vote with their dollars, right? And and let yourself yeah, be heard, well, right? Whatever your feedback is to to one password, I think let them let them know. Like, how else are they going to know um, what their customer base wants rather than speaking directly to them? And as I said, vote with your dollars if you feel it's it's not going the direction you want. You might have to start considering alternatives. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, hopefully exactly. you can convince I, them, right? It's sort of the give and take of uh, sort of the marketplace.
2: Well, like I said, they, they don't have any plans. Uh, I'm, I'm basing my hopes on their last paragraph here, where they talk about what it costs. You know, two ninety nine per month. I guess that's the American um, or U S. dollars. And um, they say that they're they're not planning to remove support for iCloud or Dropbox or even local vaults, if that's what people choose to do, right? But I can't, like, I, I you know, my Mac at, at the office, which is basically an island, I have no way to sync it with the outside world. I literally have to look up passwords on my phone you know my personal phone and then type them back into the into the screen in in my Mac to, to get them stored right so yeah so pain in the butt yeah, I've done You that should too. ask them
1: if, if you're grandfathered because you have an old license or maybe this is only for new customers
2: yeah I, I think I think that's the case and that's probably what that last paragraph talks yeah, about but yeah. uh, there's been quite a discussion if you if you check on Twitter um, between one password and a number of clients who are using the product right so who aren't happy about it notwithstanding the software security experts who are uh, questioning it
3: i've definitely felt that pain before Of like oh no i don't have access <laughs> for very similar reasons to you i don't have access to my normal one password cloud-based system and i've got this password i need to put in and why did i make this thing so secure <laughs> i chose like the most extreme <laughs> options yeah. for, for generating a sure. passphrase you know it's like a bazillion words each word is a bazillion characters log very unhappily <laughs> very slowly looking on the little iphone to sort of see what it is so i can move forward um i don't know maybe there's like a vision-based solution to this, like a reverse QR code. You know, normally you can use like two-factor authentication methods to sync up things. Where, oh, you know, your Mac displays a QR code, and you use something like Authy or Google Authenticator to use the mm-hmm. camera. Couldn't we do it in reverse? Uh, every Mac has a camera on it. Why not? That's what <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it makes you wonder what the reasons for doing it are. are is it is it purely a an amount a, a, about you know just trying to make more money, or or is it you know is it is it kind of a life and death? situation for the company where if they don't make more money, they're going to go under. So then you as a customer have the question to answer, well, wh- which would you prefer? Paying a little more or having this, the service just completely go away? And it's, it's a tough question.
2: Yeah, no, I think it may it may come down to, to what they kind of support and all that kind of stuff. I don't think they're I think they're doing pretty good, you know what I mean? So they seem to be growing like weeds, those guys. If you look at their team page, it's quite quite uh, dense.
1: But they have to have been, they had to have taken some kind of a hit from, from uh, iCloud uh, passwords and and the new version that's coming in iOS 11, maybe they're anticipating a big hit.
2: Yeah, maybe they're maybe they're impacted by the new. Well, so there's a new uh, thing in a Safari Web View Controller where um, you used to be able to store a cookie and then read it back through the Safari browser, right? And maybe they're maybe they were using some sort of web techno, web web caching backend or whatever. All apps are now going to be sandboxed in iOS 11, and actually just in beta three, which just came out two days ago, um, Apple's introduced a new uh, SF authentication something. Rather as part of the Safari View Controller um, framework, but yeah, that's that's a huge thing for uh, if you, if that was maybe they were doing that, or maybe they're anticipating some sort of changes to Dropbox and or I- iCloud, or you know, or even just storing it locally. Like it, like um, I mean, it says if you drop your your phone into the lake, uh, you're kind of screwed if that's the only place you have your password vault, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Right, right. But and, I'm, I'm sure what they were doing previously, because they've been around a lot longer than Safari View Controller was around, has been around. Yeah, so, for sure. So yeah, yeah, they were yeah. probably. Had, they probably had an encrypted uh, enclave somewhere on on your device with the password to that stored in the keychain. So right. so you have access to your keychain and that gives you the key to unlock all your other passwords. And they must have been going through some kind of uh, their own server to sync with pass- passwords from other devices or or the web to keep your local enclave uh, enclave up to date. But what mm-hmm. what uh, the new thing in Safari it is allowing is it's allowing apps to have access to your iCloud Keychain uh, uh, storage without actually seeing your key, the, the passwords in your keychain. So you, as a developer, can open up a view controller, and it works almost like OAuth in some sense, where except it's local, right. where the user types in their password, and you, as the app owner, never see their password. Uh, and so, so it's a secure way for apps now to have access to all the passwords that you've ever used to uh, to log into anything using Safari. So it's a it's a big improvement. We never had that before. There was always you could you could sync your Safari on on your phone with Safari on on the web, and pretty seamlessly share passwords that way. But you never could share them with
2: apps, right? Right. Yeah. So unless you had like, but you could sync your Keychain across across devices as well, though, right? Using iCloud uh, syncing, right?
1: Right. So if you ever, if you ever, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yes, yes, you certainly can, and that works for Safari on different devices and different uh, yeah, web browsers, whatnot. But w- apps were always a walled guard. They Apps never had access to right. That. And and the main reason, the main reason reason for that, presumably, was that there's always this issue of, if before now, uh, if the app had access to your password and you are typing something into the app, then the developer can see that password. There's no way around that. Uh, so an unscrupulous developer uh, could potentially get access to yeah, passwords you, you, yeah. didn't, you don't want yeah. them to have access to. Uh, but this now prevents that. So it's a it's a it's a huge improvement from a security point of view and a an ease of use point of view.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean the whole OAuth thing too as well because then you're using. It's like um, Jaime was talking about. What was that? Um, Authy, right? It Does a similar thing where it, it uses a secure token to. I think, you as opposed to username and password right
3: yeah you use it to, to sync it's like toTP it's some sort of timing based thing where you get both of these things in sequ- in um, in sync and they will generate sequences of numbers that expire after a certain amount of time and so I think something very similar in concept is
2: uh, Google network there yeah or like those NUNS, um tokens where it's like you use it once and then it's it's no longer valid right right mm-hmm. right mm-hmm.
1: but with with oauth you can still use you, you still do use a, a username and password you just you never type it directly into something that the phone can see you type it into a secure web page that's controlled by the person you're trying to authenticate with and and uh, so the so the app developer never has access to that hmm. or the web
2: developer and the, or the developer. evil uh, or the evil unlockers who are gonna look log your uh, your strings or whatever yeah. right?
1: well if they're somehow logging your keystrokes then you're you're out of luck <laughs>
2: yeah 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 yep yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean well I mean that's a, the, the reality of it I don't know if anybody's really dealt with authentication I've written a number of authentication things in apps and you know what you see as a user is you know, eight asterisk, eight uh, bullets, you know, in your in password field, but really there's a string being passed in, in the background. Right. So, and it's in clear text if it's not obfuscated somehow. And that's the case of what we're talking about. Right.
1: Right. So, so if, if you just create your own login screen, say, and put a, a text field uh, and you turn on that encryption or that not encryption, but that obfuscation, uh, you as a developer can still see the value of that text field, just using exactly. text field dot text, say you would with anything else. It's not hidden. So that's fine. If if it's your user logging into your app, with passwords that, that uh, you know are, are really only you ever used to get into your app, uh, then yeah, that's fine. Who cares if you see it? But but the problem is that. Or one problem is that many people reuse passwords for things. So if you're a right. if you're an unscrupulous developer and you know that someone logged into your account using or your uh, you know your app their account in your app using a certain password, well, what's to stop you from trying to break into their other accounts using that same password or change one character or whatever you know and sure yeah, yeah and yeah. and try to yeah and try to crack your passwords that way. I'm sure it happens a lot unfortunately.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I'm sure that yes, yeah, it's, it's probably the new like you know they used to sell credit card numbers and now they. Probably sell uh, lists of usernames and passwords, right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially since most username or most usernames are email addresses these days right so you know, they get you get you both ways all right another argument for f two f a and a lot of other kind of stuff right yeah, so that 's the one password. <laughs> follow up i guess on the password one password moving towards subscription based users all right so we have a post here from mark or the panic mode yeah okay
1: yeah so I saw an article today that doesn't look too encouraging but you know hopefully it's just clickbait trying to drum up some some worry about about apple and, and ios 8 and or, or sorry ios 11 and the new phones uh, but uh, apparently the the word is that the, the new phones are having some trouble working with ios 11 for some of the key features that that people care About like uh, the 3D facial recognition that's supposed to replace uh, um, Touch ID, uh, and uh, what was the other one? Um, The uh, the wireless charging, and so so the rumor is that these things are not going to make it into the first shipment of the phone, and we'll have to wait for Mm -hmm. an update to presumably 11.1 whenever that comes out. This would be kind of a kind of a bad thing in my mind. Um, Oh, for sure, both as a user and as an Apple investor, I think it's a it would look pretty bad.
2: Yeah, hmm. yeah it kind of makes me wonder, now you say that, it makes me wonder what the stock's looking like today, you know? Because uh, as soon as this story hits the streets, it might uh, might cause a lull. Right? Well,
1: let's see. Yeah, it's up today. Up 21 cents today, which is not much. It's 0.14%, but at least it's up. Mm-hmm. So who knows? I mean, these are just rumors, you know, and, and these websites, even though this is a fairly reputable website that I saw this article on, uh, it's still, mm-hmm. you know, it's still possible that it's the story is exaggerated or, or their sources were Exaggerated, or uh, you know, or Apple will pull off a miracle and, and come through and, and figure out all the, all the uh, uh, solutions in the last few weeks. Uh, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so don't take it too seriously, but you know, take it seriously, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, and and it's not like this this could almost be follow up because we have been talking about the challenges that Apple's been having mm-hmm. getting some of the features ready for this. But yeah, it's, I think it's getting close to the wire, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting. Just on a side note here, um, a friend of ours, uh, which I talked about on the show before, Lexus Gallagher. He's working for a company that does uh, eyeglasses, and I was speaking with him about um, possibly talking about it on the show because it's an interesting technology. In that now I'm forgetting the name of the company. It's, oh, Topology Eyewear, out of I think it's somewhere down in the valley. But they've, if you check out their app, they've got a, a cool technology where they fit your a guaranteed good fit of glasses on your on your your face. And what they do is you use your smartphone to scan your face. Like you start off, you know, with your your left ear, and you move around to your front, and then to your right ear kind of thing. And they build a 3D map of your face, right? Using, you know, all the stuff we've been talking about with the machine learning and all that nonsense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and AR to sort of show you what the glasses you choose will look like on your face. But the mapping of your face is used by them to sort of figure out how, uh, what size, you know, or how big to make the glasses or what kind of, you know, the distance from the front of the glass to your ear is and that kind of thing, right? Which is normally they do by measuring you physically, right? So it's kind of a cool thing. If you look at their, if you go to the, if you look up topology um, I wear on the App Store. Let's do that.
1: I'm actually looking at the
2: website. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's not iTunes. Everybody looks the same in these Apple world now. look confusing. Why can't they choose other colors? for icons? topology? No yeah, I was just looking at it because I'm having. I was just thinking about getting some new glasses, right? So look, topology is, is mapping of the Earth, right? Isn't it?
1: Just mapping in general. Yeah. yeah, like relief mapping, height and all that. Yeah, geometrical mapping. So they're they're located in San Francisco, but it looks like they have a retail store in Palo
2: Alto. Oh, you know what? It's um. A only in the U- U.S. That's why I can't find it. I have to switch to the U.S. store. Yeah, but if you look on the... I just, I'm just, i just basing this on what I saw on the um, their screenshots on their on the App Store. They sort of show somebody with a, like a map of her face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I start by taking a selfie. And they must be able to use the gyroscope to sort of uh, figure out. Well, I guess not. But that's kind of a cool concept, you know? Yeah. Speaking of what we were just talking about. Uh, you know, just in, re- in reference to the 3D scanning that Apple is talking about doing, right? To recognize that you are, infer- in fact, the person using this phone. I wonder what happens in, uh, I think... Justin Stanley actually put, mentioned it on Twitter. Is what happens in low light situations where you can't really get a good. Uh, yeah, you can't use your phone as a out. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep so i think when i read these these rumors um
3: uh, let's tear it apart a little bit to to separate out like how concerned would i be on some of these so the wireless charging thing being an update that kind of makes sense the depth or sorry portrait mode on the iphone 7 plus was something that didn't come out until like october i think it was about a month later that the update came out uh, and that was something effect, mentioned yeah. right they mentioned it right in the reveal of the phone that hey this is not going to be available on day one is going to come in a, a free update and it was rather quick and until this article came out i'd kind of forgotten that i didn't have portrait mode the entire time of, of i had this phone so i think that's okay especially because it's sort of not unprecedented since i kind of doubted that the contactless i'm sorry not contactless but the um inductive wireless charging was going to be included in the box i assumed that it was going to be some sort of peripheral that you would have to buy in addition so not that dissimilar to like buying the airpods right the airpods don't come free inside of your right. when you buy an right. iphone so you know for the low load price of uh i just call it right here 39.99 us
2: no 299 299 <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, why not just eh?
3: have like only if it's like a big one that you can put your ipad and your apple watch and everything else on it then, then i could see that um so you go and buy that later in any case so that that seems okay right i think that's fine it's not a huge deal it's more like an additive thing the front-facing 3d sensor software mm, i'm not terribly concerned about that not being there on day one unless it's there's as no if, yeah if there's no touch ID, it's like no right. they have to delay the phone right like there's right. just there's just no way about it so it kind of depends on which version of reality you're, you're sort of betting on here um the where touch id is going to be located on the phone given that we are sitting in the early or i guess almost middle of july as of right now there's no way they're still making that decision unless there are two touch id sensors in the phone one in the back and one within the display like it, it's too late to make millions of phones on you know for day one release when you've already hit middle of July, right? You, you're talking two months now before that phone needs to be in people's hands. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I kind of think that if that rumor was true, it, it's a little bit dated now that they've they've almost certainly made their decision one way or the other, which could be go with this model versus that model or guess what? Um, we will delay this particular model by a few weeks to a month, I would guess.
1: Unless, of course, they had decided not to put in Touch ID, which made, maybe isn't feasible, but if they had made that decision and now they're scrambling and in panic mode, as the article says, because Uh uh-oh, all of a sudden we made the decision now we have to go back on that decision. That would be real panic
3: mode. Yeah, that's the one. Anything that delays, you know, granted it seems weird because Apple has never officially said when the new iPhone is coming out. They have not even said that an iPhone is coming out. So technically, technically, it's not delayed, but they've set a precedent with so many years. We know it's going to be the second, was it, second Tuesday in September. They're going to invite everybody. They're going to do the reveal. So the stock market will definitely, I, I would consider it a delay, right? Like I fully expect, them to hit their, their dates, even though I'm not privy to what those technically are.
2: Yeah, well, and the other, the other point is that, like you, I think you kind of sort of said that in the past, Apple never said what they were going to do. They just kind of, we, we all showed up like, you know, automatons, and they would sort of say, and it does this, and it does that, and we would all cheer and, you know, in, in the audience, right? Um, it's only been in the last three, you know, five or six years that, you know, the rumors have been so accurate coming out from from uh, Cupertino in terms of what actually goes into the phone, that by the time we get to the, the you know the introduction. We're like, yeah, okay. We're just checking off a list of things that the rumor monger said we we're gonna get. But um, like, Apple's never said they're putting 3D face detection in. They've never said they're putting Touch ID behind the glass. They never even said that they're making the phone like the full width of the thing. Like, who knows? Maybe the phone is going to be a 7s that they they decided to just you know kick up, just enhance the seven to make it you know the next phone, and then wait for the till the technology is there for the uh, the next phone, which is going to be the iPhone eight. We're calling. It, right
1: it's possible but there's there's been so many rumors from so many sources that have been accurate in the past and these are people who have access to the supply chain and, and you know, they, right, they, right. they know it's being manufactured so there's a lot of smoke for there to be no fire right it's hard to believe that that this is all wrong yeah you know, there has to be some greater truth to, to all of this uh, so well I guess we'll just have to wait and see we don't know
2: well that's what I mean but like if Apple on on you know September 1 or October 1 wherever they get up there and announce what the next phone is if if they don't even Mention 3d face detection you know do they really wear egg on their face right if it's not there on the phone because they've never officially said that they were going to put it in there right so
1: right well it, it kind of only matters in two ways one is the stock market uh the the right, analysts right. in the stock market have have priced all these things into their projections of how many people are going to buy this thing and how much it's going to cost and how much money apple's going to make off it so so if those predictions are wrong then you know people on wall street are are panicky right if 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 uh if if their right, expectations right. aren't met, the first thing they want to do is sell. So Apple stock will drop quite a bit. Uh, yeah. So that only matters, I guess, to people who are interested in the stock or or people who are interested in in the health of Apple's company. I suppose. Uh, the second thing is is just how the press treats it all. And and as the press goes, a lot of people go. You know, if if the press is really negative and there's a lot of bad reviews because of all this, then certainly that's not going to sway the diehard Apple users. But there's a lot of people in the middle who are on the fence. You know, they. Maybe they alternate back and forth between an iPhone and an Android phone, or, or they're thinking about saving money and going to the Android phone. And is it worth it to get the iPhone, et cetera, et cetera? And those people might not buy the phones, and that impacts Apple's business pretty significantly.
2: Right, right. Well, uh, the other—I mean, if you want to be a conspiracy theorist, you know, you put the word "panic" in the headline of your story, you dump your stock, you wait till it goes down, and then you buy the stock back again.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> highly illegal, but uh, well, I guess it's only illegal if you have actual knowledge.
2: That right, right.
1: If you know everything's going to be okay, and then you, and then you, and then you say that, and that's kind of insider trading, mm,
2: is it? Okay. All right. So, okay, let's move on to our picks since we've buried that story. Emmy, you have a pick for us? Yeah, a couple picks. The first one is a blog post by
3: uh, Use Your Loaf, and it's on safe area layout guides, which not only sort of gives a recap of how the top and bottom layout guides worked sort of before, and sort of conceptually how safe area layout guides work in iOS. 11, but it brings forth something that I didn't know because I hadn't seen WWDC 2017 session 412, which says that apparently... Storyboards using safe areas are backwards deployable. So you can switch to using safe area layout guide in Interface Builder, even if you still target iOS 10 and older. There's just like a little Hmm. checkbox that says use safe area layout guides. Um, Worth noting that apparently as of this recording, there is a a bug related to sort of standardized spacing, but fairly certain that'll get fixed. I mean, it's still pretty on in the beta cycle. Um, And there's even an example here of creating constraints in code and using the wonderful pound available uh, Swift feature to use, you know, if available for iOS 11, use safe area layout guides. Otherwise, create a uh, top and bottom anchor with the top and bottom layout guides. So hmm. pretty easy to sort of understand, I think. And, and great tip there. Of like, oh, I didn't know they were backwards deployable. I was Like, oh, that, that totally changes the game. I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll have to wait another year or two before I can start switching to those. Right. Um, yeah, you yeah. know, we'll, yeah. we'll be dropping iOS 9 sometime soon, I'm sure. And then have to wait for 10 <laughs> sometime, sometime soon, for sure. Yeah. But I was like, oh, so it's like a year or so from now. No,
2: we start using it as soon as we drop nine. So that's great. It's good to know. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of us are living in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's your next pick there? I think this is great
3: that we were talking about this uh, iPhone 8 panic because if there's anything Apple should be worried about, it is the official KFC, that is Kentucky Fried Chicken iPhone or phone from uh, Huawei. So it's a KFC branded phone that is celebrating the apparently the 30th anniversary of of KFC arriving in China. Oh, so nice. for those of you driving at home uh, in this non-visual medium, it is a bright red phone, like completely red uh, on the back, sort of like the iPhone red. And it has a Touch ID sensor sort of like towards the top on the back. And it has the logo, the Colonel Sanders face, 1987, something in Chinese that may say KFC for all I know, and the Huawei logo. And that's not all. It's apparently got a specially branded sort of a set of things going on there um, for their build of Android, where it comes with a KFC branded music app pre-installed if you watch the video nice. it's kind of hilarious seeing people they're like in the restaurant apparently you can interact with the like jukebox at the restaurant so they use it for like oh they're having a birthday party so they play the happy birthday song and this guy likes this other girl so he does something romantic and it's sort of like the wedding bells a Canon D sort of uh, song and there's another one that I was completely culturally caught off guard with I guess maybe it's Christmas I don't know they're, they're wearing uh, reindeer antlers in, in dancing, so I'm a little unclear what was going on there, but uh, Apple should watch out here, because for the low, low price of uh, $162 US, you too mm. can have the KFC phone.
2: Nice. And like the red phone, all the, in, this, in this case, all the uh, uh, extra profits go to KFC? Yeah, you know, it doesn't state here, but I would guess <laughs> there's yeah. some kickbacks going back to the kernel. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Alright, Mike, I have a couple of picks here. Um, one is kind of quick, and actually, I put it here, it's a, it's a recent blog posting. Um, one of our teammates posted Posted it in there. Um, and it was more about he was posting it because a lot of us are having issues with uh, with code completion sort of quitting on you in the middle of, uh, of running your or building an app, right? Or, or writing some code. And there are a couple of fixes around them. And they kind of point, to, in this article, they point to the bridging header imports as uh, one of the culprits. And the, the he this person, the author, went to WWDC and sat down with the developers in the labs, which is what I keep telling people. Go to WWDC and spend time in the labs. It's the only time you'll actually get to sit with the engineers and talk to them. Um, but they recommended in this case here when you're doing the imports to actually include the path to the uh, class in this case it was a cocoa pod. But what was interesting to me more than than the solution to this particular problem was that there's a way to run Xcode in a debug mode. And that's why I posted this link here. So it's so basically you run the uh, you start the app from the command line and you type you add in a hyphen and show DVT debug menu and then into space and then yes in uppercase and that turns on a debugging mode in in um, Xcode so that it'll it'll produce a bunch of logs and you can go through that's how this person was able to determine what his issues were because he was able to go through the logs after running Xcode and running his app to find out what is going on what why is source kit crashing and where is it crashing and on what so it's just you know for those of you driving at home here's a handy tip on how to turn on the debug mode in in Xcode and, and I'm not talking about the you know console mode I'm talking about actually getting a log from the actual Application itself. Got a cool tip. Yeah, this is brilliant here because I want to
3: try this out. Because there's a handful of files in the, in the project that are like, okay, it compiles, it runs, it can debug, everything works, but why am I not getting any syntax highlighting on, on this section of the file? Right. And it's almost certainly because we probably have some imports that are in this style where it's just import, you know, my class.header and not import half to your library or framework slash my class.header. So I oh, want to try it And also, it may,
2: maybe why, why Tammy and I are getting that white highlighting when we click. On a project file in the in the project navigator, right? <laughs>
3: yeah, that's a weird you know, you bug. To
2: reverse it, yeah,
3: it, it would be better if it didn't compile because then you would be forced to look at it and say, "Oh, okay, this is why." But since it sort of uh, does it on easy mode on one side and hard mode on the other, it's sort of hard to figure out what the heck is the problem. Right?
2: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You guys have never seen that particular particular bug that Tammy talked about? No, I've never seen it. Yeah, it's been it happens to me all the time. Like, it's and it's happened to me since I think uh, I, I want to say Xcode seven. But yeah, it's and and because we asked Tammy. Once she installed, um, like it could be something like a plist a P entry in you know our our a legacy plist entry in our um, our preferences somewhere buried in our in our home directory right in our library directory, but who knows? So like there's no way to pinpoint it, and and it's like one of the, one of these weird Apple errors where you guys don't see it, but Tammy and I both get it, right? Mm. So yeah.
1: Describe it again. What actually happens?
2: So well, maybe I'll do a screenshot for you. Let me just open up the next code here. So yeah, so when when you highlight the uh, when you go to you know you go select a file. File in the in the project navigator. Yep, yeah, right? sure. It's gonna, I'm just opening. I'm opening up Device Tracker, and I go to the project navigator, and I'll grab a file. Of course, it won't do it now. No, it's not doing it now. How about that? Isn't that special? Let's see. Yeah, not doing it. Weird. I swear to God, it was doing it the other day. Oh well, can't send you. I'll send you a screenshot sometime. But but what what it basically does is is the um I think that the highlight color is yellow if I'm not mistaken, and, and then the the type stays white. It doesn't doesn't reverse out. Or sorry. Yeah, it, it reverses out, but it, it's still it's illegible, right? So. If for some reason, yeah, it's just weird. So because you know it's a, just a UI thing. Anywho, but yeah, that debug is cool, right? I mean, yeah, very cool. <laughs> I mean, definitely, I definitely think so. <laughs> yeah, worth posting. And another one was I saw another AR Kit tutorial for those of you driving at home and want to need a little bit of handholding or at least want to just d- dive into it with a quick example. Um, but uh, uh, that was a paid one, so I couldn't really link that one. But this one I found here from I need to open it up to see this guy's name, Jameson Quave. Um, is an AR kit tutorial in Swift 4 for Xcode 9 using SceneKit. So it's a quick little, uh, tutorial, a couple of lines of code to enter, um, steps you through how to build a quick AR app to run on a device that can support it. So last week I said I didn't think I had a device, but I forgot I had this iPad Pro here, which I'm sure, or I actually got Carol's phone too, which is a, an iPhone 7. So I could run, I could break her phone and run some AR, which would be cool. So link in the show notes for that thoughts. It's kind of screaming
3: through it. Yeah.
2: I think another one
3: to bring up in, let me paste this here in the notes as a real-time follow-up one moment. Surprised Tammy didn't mention this one. So this is from uh, Tammy Corman. It's not her article. It is by Chris Language, but is right. on her uh, site that she's, uh, what do we say, co-creator, co-founder? I'm not sure the exact term, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. dayoftheindie.com. There's a tutorial there as well to compare and contrast.
2: Oh, nice. Yeah. Tutorial,
3: Introduction to ARKit with SceneKit. Yeah. So if you're looking for more information about that
2: sort of thing, or at least an alternative view, take a look at that too. Right, right. <laughs> He's got the Neo picture there. I know, Eric. AR- kit so yeah chris language he's also the uh, author of the um 3d games for by tutorials on the ray window site as well the book this is cool yeah i yeah, don't know how i missed this one. Oh well Neo. that's it for another week hey how mayhap can people get a hold of you if they need to the best way is on twitter i'm at dev with the hair okay and mark if people want to get in touch with you
1: mark at Smapsop.com.
2: all right and i'm timitra t-i-m-i-t-r-a on the twitter machine and that's the best way to get a hold of me so until next week we'll say bye-bye goodbye bye Thank mm-hmm.
0: you. And thus ends another episode of More Than Just Code. This is friend of the show, Katie. And another
2: friend,
3: Jesse. We hope that you enjoy the show as much as we do, including the parts about code.
0: And also the parts about More Than Code. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm.
3: There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode, with links to the items talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store.
0: If you like the podcast, please leave a comment. On the website. And if you can, please rate a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button.
3: All of these things help others find out about the show, and we really appreciate your help with spreading the word. The show is also on Twitter and Facebook, the Twitter account being MTJC underscore podcast. You
0: can also support the show by pledging any amount on Patreon.com slash MTJC. That's what we do.
3: Thanks for listening with us. Let's either have the same amount of fun or more next time.
2: So I was watching the news this afternoon, or just before the show, and uh, this guy has got a license plate that says, um, it says phonetically, it says assimilate, and he's got it in a in a frame that says, you know, the Borg and resistance is futile and that kind of stuff, right? So it's clearly an homage to, you know, Star Trek and the whole Borg thing, right, with the assimilation, you know, you will be assimilated, which is futile. Apparently, the somebody in his neighborhood has taken, has sees it as an offensive term because, you know, they're... Assuming he wants people to assimilate it, Their cultures into his And so he's been, I guess the government Or some government body confiscated The, the license plate, and uh, just I thought it was funny Interesting, and, and he might have to go to court And fight to keep his license Is, plate.
1: is that kind of a trigger word up there, I mean, in Canada? Or?
2: Well, it's, it, he's in Manitoba And there are a lot of um, Aboriginals, let's put it that way, I don't know What's the what correct term for them? Mm. Indigenous peoples, right? So they take offense To that apparently, mm. assuming that he wants Them to assimilate their culture into ours, which is I guess been a sore spot. I don't know. Does that not like that down in the states? Not with mm. not with that
1: word so much. Um, there's other there's other words that are that uh, provoke equally yeah. bad reactions. But I haven't heard anything about that particular word. no.
3: Yeah. In in terms of assimilate, we t- so from what I'm hearing and understanding, sort of verboten in, in Canada because it's um, sort of inward facing, right? It's Indigenous folks assimilating or not into sort of the broader Canadian culture. And in the United States, yeah, exactly. it's yeah. incoming where United States culture is what it is and immigration or immigrants assimilating or not into our culture. Right, right. I think there's a little bit of a different flavor there. I I don't see folks really using that word maybe even at all with regards to the Native American population, which is both integrated and not, right? Like they will have, uh, you know, if they're a tribe that has their own um, reservation area, it's got like its own policing and kind of like its own sovereign nation inside of the United or nations inside of the United States sort of territory
2: right um, well, same here but they, people yeah.
3: cross back and forth all the time right if you go to a casino here let's say here like in washington state uh, many of them just out and about normally you don't cross a special border to get in uh, it is treated a little bit different because it is tribal land so i guess if you wanted to run away from the police the, the local washington state police you could run there but you're not going to last very long because the the tribes will push you right over the back so and, and likewise right there it's not as if you're going to hop between the border you know flouting the laws between the two
2: i'm just trying to look here how to mute i muted um some words on my twitter feed and i was trying to see how to do that in the ios client is that basically do you know if it's like from the um like if i tweet if i mute the word on my twitter client or twitter account will it also mute it in the ios app is my question
3: um are you muting through the twitter service itself or are you muting through third party stuff because i don't think
2: all no, i'm on, I'm on, I'm of on the my twitter pro- do that right i'm on the twitter twitter.com profile for me i did it in TweetDeck, which is owned by Twitter, right? And now I'm trying to do it on um, Yeah, if,
3: no- if you're doing it through like official Twitter channels, it should work sort of universally. Uh, the reason I, I ask about the,
2: the client as well? Well, the, Yeah. yeah.
3: And, and the reason I ask about the third party stuff, if there were third party Twitter clients that I think the way they implemented their um, muting solution or filtering solutions long before Twitter did theirs was to, I think it would pull down normal stuff and then rip through the list of tweets that it got from the API and start removing stuff that you told it not to have in there. So if, if you set it in Twitter Twitter, like by default, it would end up with a third party, but if you said in third party, you wouldn't necessarily reflect in Twitter.
2: Yeah. Cause I think you'd mentioned that you were, you were, you were um, unsubscribing from people or unfollowing people who were, you know, saying things you didn't necessarily agree with, right? So,
3: no, not even that necessarily. Um, it, it's more like, you know, if, if I follow folks for like, hey, yeah, I'm interested in their political thoughts, great. If I follow folks because I'm interested in their technical and, and, you know, just like even their own show, like there's a little bit of stuff outside of technical, like this is what their data. was like sort of stuff. That's fine, you know, but I'm primarily following them for, you know, what are your thoughts on this particular sort of topic? And some folks that ratio changed where it was just like 100 percent about whatever political thing is going on. And there's there's a lot and there's a ton of passion. That's fantastic. Um, I'm not following, you know, uh, NPR or Fox News or, you know, pick your spectrum. Like, sure. If I was following Breitbart, sure, I'd expect to get a certain thing. Um, I'm following person X because they're really good Good at uh, ios or they're really good at right, software right, development yeah. i really don't need to hear <laughs> about their political topics and, and not because i you know it's like oh well a, you let one slip and then i'm on follow no it's not that at all it's just more like okay mm-hmm. y- you're filling my feed with a ton of retweets that i i really don't care to see right because i just don't care about it uh, through that forum right I, if i care about politics i go see- to seek out political avenues not twitter which i largely use for um you know technical mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: interests yeah i know it's just a just like I was, i'm getting bored with the thoughts of the day if you want, if you if i can call it that you know so because i don't think anything's ever going to change <laughs> yeah. so okay so let's use this this particular
3: article you have here on the assimilate license plate it is a little, little bit of a lens to sort sure. of compare and contrast recent stuff that's gone on in the united states so help me explain because this is a, a cultural difference here if somebody finds something offensive then your license plate can be confiscated by the manitoba public insurance are, are they the ones that <laughs> yeah. that, that distribute these vanity plates do they approve them or
2: yeah i think i think well so in a couple of provinces we have in canada um they sort of manage they have like a government-run insurance program and that's probably i don't know about manitoba specifically british columbia does for instance they have a their own they call it icbc which is you don't get insurance from all state or you know state farm or whatever you get it from the government right so and it may be that manitoba does manages their own insurance as well so yeah they may be the ones handling out you know license stickers and, and license plates and that kind of stuff and vanity plates in this case
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: but they they'll they'll retroactively
3: remove them is what i'm hearing right like in the united states you know you can go get a vanity plate from like the department of licensing in washington state but they'll already filter it up front be like no you can't have this profane thing right like like, like an obviously right, profane right. thing like i'm sure there are people who try to slip it through like haha you didn't know this is slang for some form of genitalia right, right. okay great right uh, they can probably remove it after the fact but it's generally not looked at as like, uh-huh, like, I don't like this thing. I can go complain and get this other dude's license plate removed. Or at least I've right, not right. heard of that sort of thing happening.
2: Yeah, I mean, and there's been all kinds of stuff. But yeah, it's it's kind of silly in this case that, you know, this is this to those of us in the know who know sci-fi and, and are nerds, you know, um, specifically since he's, he's associated with the Borg, it's clearly not a bad thing. But yeah, it's it's weird that they would come back after the fact. And mind you, they're not, they're not letting um, Tom Sawyer be read in high schools anymore, right? Yeah. Or uh, or I think To Kill a Mockingbird has just been removed from the Canadian uh, reading list. You know, all of us grew up reading To Kill a Mockingbird and, and it's just been re- removed from the official curriculum and it's now an optional book. So how's that handled? And so he, that's at the provincial level, at the federal,
3: national level?
2: That's a good question. I'm not sure, but I, I just I remember hearing that because when we were kids, we used to read in the Heat of the Night, which has a couple of choice words in there, and um, you know, obviously Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, right? Mm-hmm. Like Lady it, Lady Chatterley's Lover class- or something. Yeah, I don't know about that one. That's this, you, but you know what I'm talking about? Like like mm-hmm. the, the word I'm trying to get around here, right? So uh, yeah, so Catcher in the Rye. I'm not sure if Catcher in the Rye is still still read in the, read in school, but um, you know, it's kind of like like Mark Twain, for instance, is classic American literature. I mean, you can't can't argue that, right? And there was a time when you know, for good or for better or for worse, there was you know uh, slavery and there was you know things like that, and, and certain cultures were looked down upon by other you know cultures in, the, in power. And but that's part of your history, right? And so why why shouldn't kids be you know allowed to read these books and have that explained to them as as possibly a bad thing, right? So rather than just painting over it with a white brush and never never exposing it to them, right? Yeah, like. Uh, I, I can kind of see the, the Tom Sawyer stuff. I, I don't agree with that.
3: I'm definitely um, very pro-freedom of speech. I don't know what the equivalent is. Freedom of expression, it looks like, based on this article. is yeah. what the Canadian yeah. equivalent is. You know, the Tom Sawyer stuff was very progressive for the time. And yeah, it looks right. kind of weird and archaic now. But uh, I think the one I'll focus on here that I'm a little unclear as to why people don't sort of, I don't know, learn the lessons, I suppose, is to kill a mockingbird is still just as applicable today, right? At, at least in the United exactly, States, right? Yeah. Like, we still run into this problem. Like, Spoiler for the book but uh the african-american guy gets convicted and he shouldn't have been and he was wrongly, wrongfully convicted because of racial reasons and i'm like yes they do use terms that are quite offensive but that, that's sort of the point right like that, that was certainly the term time uh sorry the term that was being used in what was this like the 60s or something the book takes place in um okay. and it's still yeah. applicable today right we've, we've talked about um, blm black lives matter and and all sorts of things that have gone on and it, it sort of seems like okay I, I understand that the offensive word is difficult but um, uh, it's the sort of thing that we should look at critically and, and, and understand the context in which it's being used. And I'm not saying people is like, Hey, let's go. Hey, get around. kindergartners. <laughs> right after you know, milk and cookies. We're going to read to kill a mockingbird. are like, no, no, no. You know, this is um, for higher age children, probably middle school and uh, in high school for sure. I think.
2: So, so here's an example. Here's a real life example. Like I, you know, I went to New York city when I was probably seven or eight. So that would have been like 1967 or 68. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting on a bus like a city bus, right? And my dad was, my dad, my, my dad is Indian, and he looks like an Indian guy, and my mom is Scottish, so she looks like a Scottish person, and we sort of look halfway between, right? The four kids. We get on this bus, and we're like, I remember thinking at the age of eight, or maybe my sisters brought it up or whatever, where does my dad sit in that situation, right? Because cl- clearly, there, were, there, were, there was a dividing line on the bus, where the front of the bus was white, and the back of the bus was not white, right? And there were even people hanging on the back of the bus, back then, oh. back then. In New really? York City, what back what year was this? 1967, 68. Oh,
1: yeah,
3: yeah. Makes
2: so sense. I mean, yeah. like you know, like you know, the, yeah. And that was that was that would have been before the the election where uh, you know they had the riots in Detroit and all that kind of stuff, right? But um, yeah, that was that was the that was reality. What, you know, for better or for worse, right? You know, and I think that's what I'm saying is like you know, thing, books like Catcher in the Rye and Kill a Mockingbird and and stuff like that. They talk about this stuff, and um, this is the I guess the more than just code book book club, yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> As we make but, these recommendations, that we highly recommend you read,
3: uh, yes, to kill a mockingbird and, and throw in Mein Kampf while you're in there, and uh, Lolita, <laughs> well, and uh, yeah, uh, catcher in the rye. I'm sure there's many others. We can uh, there's there's even some list.
2: bad terms, there's even some bad terms in Shakespeare. I don't know if you realize that or not, but yeah, if there's there, at one point he calls, I think in, um, oh, what's the one that, uh, there's one where, where the a guy calls a, a woman, he says, you're a fishmonger's wife, right? Which is not a, a politically correct term at the time, right? Right. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I forget what the forget what the actual context is, but that I remember I remember being told in high school that that was not a good thing to say to somebody, right? You know, but yeah, I mean it's you know it, it's kind of it's kind of funny. It's like it's like the politically correct people. I mean, don't get me wrong. Again, we're not we're not literary experts either or politi- political experts either, but we're just podcasters. But if you t- if you take it out of culture, then or you take the the knowledge of that that this stuff happened, there's no way to prevent it from you know coming back later you know like it was a it was reality and and we had to really fight hard to get it out of out of culture you know back in the day so right right
3: i think the one thing as i look at this article the the one thing that's kind of similar that happened in the united states fairly recently was the um oh which is it i think is the u.s trademark office the one who says yeah, Verily you're the ones who can use the word you know apple computer is your your name and and that's right kind of where apple records and an apple computer sort of ran into trouble uh, with each other um but they're the ones who decide like is this a valid trademark you know can you register a trademark sort of thing and uh they'd at some point i don't know like 2014 2015 decided that the washington redskins um that would be the national football team in washington dc their logo is um of a native american um brave i guess Uh, i don't actually know if it is Mm -hmm. a brave or not but it's a male native american sort of uh what you might stereotypically depict on like our um the nickel i think has a very similar Sort of look, and, and the term "they are Redskins" is a um, offensive term, derogatory yeah, term, derogatory term yep. to Native Americans. And they decided to sort of retroactively say, "No, this is not a valid trademark because uh, you're not going to allow um, trademarking derogatory terms." And so, they, the Washington Redskins organization had lost that trademark, which means that hypothetically, for some period of time, you could make your own Washington Redskins material and sell it, you know, right outside their stadium. I suppose, and that'd be totally fine. They couldn't legally do any sort of cease and desist on you. However, an unrelated uh, lawsuit came forward uh, from a, I'm um, not sure what they are. I th- I'm going to call them like a like a rock band called the Slants. Uh, mm-hmm. An offensive term for Asians. Uh, oh, really? in, in this oh, okay. case, right. um, it was brought forth by the members of the Slants themselves, who are themselves Asian. And they said, hey, um, we were denied this trademark. We want to reclaim this term. This is ours and we want that to be part of our no, our, our right. whole business. And the Supreme Court here said, "Like, yeah, we totally agree. Um, It's actually worse for the trademark office to be involved because it really shouldn't be sort of trying to be the arbiter of what is offensive or what is not, because that's a really, really huge problem with regards to freedom of speech. And so, because the Slants won that case, now the Washington Redskins ostensibly own their trademark again.
2: Mm, Really? Yeah. 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 Interesting. On on another note, did you know that Facebook has the trademark face locked up? I did not know that, but it would not surprise me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned it before on the show, uh, Terry O'Reilly has a show called "Age of Persuade" or "Under the Influence" uh, on CBC, and he did a thing on trademarks the other day. Um, I think it was a repeat issue, repeat podcast, but I'll link it in the show notes. But it's fascinating to sort of hear how the sort of different trademarks came about to be and stuff like that, and interesting stories. Yeah, but anyway. But coming back to like you know the the what you can and cannot say, right? So what have you just sent me? So with
3: regard to trademarks, this is a uh, comic from the Penny Arcade web comic back in 2014. Looks like. So regarding uh, Facebook Mm -hmm. and having, you know, Face, for example, as a, as a trademark. So you might remember a little game called Candy Crush Saga. Right. right. They had apparently registered for a trademark or at least applied for a trademark on the term saga, which caused a lot of consternation around the world. Because as this I'll sort of paraphrase what's going on in this this comic, it says, all right, I think there should be hard limits of what is and was not considered a saga. If you make a game where men and giants trudge through a frozen wilderness in a world without a sun, you know, I'm going to call that a saga. If you make a candy matching game, I'm not going to say no saga, right? I'm going to say, if you tell me your candy game is... is such a saga that there can be no other sagas than you are a language criminal and you belong in word jail which kind of makes sense to me right like i understand the need to defend your trademark but when it's a generic term like that it's really hard to say oh okay well nothing even vaguely related can be there and Mm -hmm. i'm sure there's going to be all sorts of narrow duels that um sort of push the line there we certainly we saw sorts of all sorts of stuff going on with that with clones on the app store and everything so i'm I'm not defending those but this person's point is like you know the term saga has been around for a very long time and it's had a very particular meaning that didn't originate with Candy Crush mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I'll link in the show, and I'm just looking through this website, um, that, uh, which is of the episode about Terry O'Reilly talking about trademarks, mm-hmm. like Johnny Weissmuller's, Johnny Weissmuller's Tarzan thing, or Darth Vader's breathing, apparently, is trademarked as well, right? And the Green Giant, remember the Green Giant? Ho, 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 ho. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> those
3: particular sounds. We, didn't we say in one episode that we're going to get in trouble because we sang the Intel Inside oh, tune and the NBC uh, call right. sign yep. sign? Yeah.
2: As a matter of fact, the NBC call sign was, was actually one of the things he talked about in the show, right? So.
3: yeah the good thing is we're not on we're not on YouTube so we don't have to worry about the content ID thing And see so tons of right, tons right. of let's players a be like
2: yeah let's play this this song no no
3: no, don't play let's like don't even hum it if we get too close the content ID is going to shut us right. down and say so, oh look you're, you're taking this copyrighted work yeah
2: well do you know like a lot of times where when I do a custom cover um, image for the podcast is because if I go to the internet and I just grab an image and I use it in and I upload it to fireside they have some sort of filter that checks to see whether the image is copyrighted or not and they, they'll prevent me from uploading an image that's that's you know under somebody else's license or whatever so very often that's why I create a brand new uh, piece of artwork myself to just to avoid that <laughs> oh that's interesting you know, so that's that's actually yeah. pretty smart on their side
3: right as a trying to oh, follow yeah, the, the like, host, safe right? harbor yeah. rules and stuff so that that makes a lot of sense that they would do that it's a bummer that this is the, the world we're in because it's not not as if we're trying to hot link to somebody's site and like ah, I stole your art and I'm totally presenting it as our own it's like we're using it in what I think we believe to be the terms of fair use, right, right, as applicable in the United States. I have no idea what the Canadian version is.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't either. I mean, that's that's, that's always a uh, always a concern. Like like the the Canada episode where uh, our Saskatchewan centennial episode, I I saw a font that had a whole bunch of you know, little Canadian icons, and so I, I used them in Photoshop, and then I finally I couldn't find out how because it was apparently a free font, quote unquote free font, right? According to this one website, but there was no download link, and so I I kept looking all weekend. And then after after the show went live, I found uh, a link to the, the artist who created the thing, and I was able to download the font. And when I looked in the PDF that came along with the font, it said this is you know for personal use to like make uh, you know birthday inv- invitations and stuff like that. But if you want to use it for commercial, you have to apply for a license to use it. So I had to go through and redraw all those icons. I don't know if you noticed or not, but so I just sat down with my iPad and redrew them all. <laughs> I, I did not notice, but that's because I didn't know what the original looked like. Yeah, yeah, well. It, it was only up for like a couple of hours before I realized that I couldn't use it. So, interesting. I love it. I, I wonder what what qualifies as commercial there. Like if if that was a non
3: sponsored episode, is that a commercial? Endeavor? It was.
2: Yeah, it was. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. We show ads. It might be. Yeah. Oh, that's well, a good point. So,
3: so yeah, that we have ads on the on the site. You mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, since since the conference is in Denver, I think you should do the entire talk as uh, Mr. Hand. <laughs> okay.
2: Okay. It won't be hard, <laughs> Mr. Hand. Is, so is, the it, teacher is, or... is Is
1: it Mr. Hand who does that? He's Mr. Hand is one of the teachers. He's the one with the puppet. Yeah is the is the M K guy a different one? Uh,
3: uh, so Mr. Garrison had Mr. Hat. Oh, Mr. Garrison for a very long time. And then the M K oh. guy is Mr. Mackey. I think his name is. Who's Mr. Hand? then? Mr. Different show. <laughs> well, I don't sure. know. I don't know.
2: I watched that show like the first two years, and I haven't watched it since. And it's like it's eclipsed, you know, from when I from when I first started watching it.
1: Yeah. yeah they killed kenny you
2: know yeah they killed kenny well they killed kenny Those every bastards. show for the i know i know <laughs> i know i, know, I, know. <laughs> I used to do they still kill him every show not every show no
3: no oh. they In went fact- through this whole thing where they sort of showed like how it works with his his death and reappearance later oh really yeah, like, no. a, like a three-part series that uh tangentially explained how that works so is he like a clone or something or what does that work sort of it's like he's he's He dies and is reborn to the same parents. Really? For whatever call, I'd have to look it up. It was like a superhero themed um, series of episodes, and also involved Cthulhu. Who? Cthulhu, the eldritch elder god from
2: H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Okay, is that is that the, the horned devil like looking guy? No, it's more uh, like oh, a squid a... sort of looking thing. Okay, see, like I like I said, I have more. I watched like I said the first two seasons pretty much, and then dropped. Well, off. that's got nothing to do with really with South Park. That was just that one episode. Okay. He was uh, he is the okay chief chief god of
1: a pantheon of God slash demons that are in this uh whole mythos that lovecraft and others developed back in like the 30s and 40s
2: oh okay right 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 hmm. things that make you say hmm. mm-hmm.
1: hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget